Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, Awesomes. I am so excited about this week's episode of Sorta Awesome. It's something we've been planning for a while now. We are welcoming back our favorite former co-host, Laura Tremaine, to the show. A couple of things I got to tell you before the episode begins. Number one, we had a terrible time with audio and technical difficulties getting this episode recorded. It may sound a little different from other sort of awesome episodes, but I know you're going to love every minute of it anyway. Secondly, we were so excited to have Laura back and we got so into this conversation with her that we completely forgot to tell you that Laura stuck around not just for this episode, episode 277, but she also joined us for our newest episode in our Sorta Spicy series. Sorta Spicy is the series that we've been creating for our Patreon supporters. We call them the Awesome Superstars where we dig deep and cover topics that we'll never cover on the main show, Sorta Awesome. So Laura, Kelly, Rebecca, and I all had a great conversation called COVID Confessions. I thought that like most of our Confessions episodes, it was just going to be silly, but we all got pretty deep confessing some of the big things that have been going on behind the scenes in our personal lives since the COVID pandemic began. It's an incredible conversation, and it's the fourth episode in our Sorta Spicy series. If you've been thinking about signing up to become a superstar, now is the time to do it. It's so easy to do. Go to patreon.com slash Sorta Awesome. It's $5 a month. You get so much access to so many bonus episodes, and of course, our exclusive Facebook group that's just for the superstars. You guys don't want to miss out on this. Trust me. Okay, I think that's everything. Now, on to the show. It's January 29th. 2021. And this is Sort of Awesome, episode 277. You are invited to join me and several of my closest and dearest friends as we do what we do best, what we've been doing for over five years now, and that is sharing our stuff. I'm Meg Teets, and this is Sort of Awesome. Welcome back, Awesomes, to the show that is all about helping you find conversation, friendship, and community. If you are new to Sorta Awesome, welcome. We are so thrilled that you are here. Maybe you made your way here from Facebook or from Instagram, maybe from YouTube or TikTok. Maybe somebody who just loves you very much recommended Sorta Awesome to you. However, it is that you found us. We are so glad that you're here. We would love to have you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss any of the awesome that we share every week and so you can find and connect with our incredible community online. 
Okay, like I said, this is episode 277. You guys, this is an episode that frankly has been a couple of years in the making. It is a group show, but not just any group show. It is, in fact, a reunion group show. I'm here with my dear friends and longtime co-hosts, Rebecca Hoffer and Kelly Gordon, and we are thrilled to be joined this week by one Ms. Laura Tremaine. Hello, Laura. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. I'm like giddy in my chair right now. (laughs) Yes. Giddy in my chair. I want that like cross-stitched on a pillow or something. (laughs) I I feel like it's a little giddy up in my step. (laughs) So Laura, welcome back. We really are so thrilled that you're here and we are here for a very special reason. And that is we wanted to get together with Laura to celebrate a very monumentous thing that is happening in your life and honestly is happening to the world at large in just a few weeks. Laura, tell us a little bit about why you're here. I am finally, after like years and years and years of dreaming of this, I am finally releasing my very first book. It is called Share Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First, 10 Questions to Take Your Friendships to the Next Level. And it is so exciting to me to be talking about this with the sort of awesome team, because like, y'all are my roots. This (laughs) is where I really found my voice that actually like gave way to this book. I'd been a blogger for years before Meg, you started sort of awesome. I, you know, became a co-host on this show just for fun. Like I had no idea where it was going to take me. And then I decided after a couple of years of doing wonderful shows with you that I wanted to go write a book. I stepped away from Sort of Awesome. I did not write a book. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not right away anyway. (laughs) Not at that time, which, so it's very funny to me to come back and be like, no, but y'all, I, I actually did it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, and we are so glad that you did. So um, we are going to be talking so much more about that. And Kelly and Rebecca, I know you guys are just as thrilled as I am to be here today. Are you guys, Kelly and Rebecca, are you a little nervous? I feel a little nervous because Laura has served up some really interesting questions for us. How are you guys feeling? Oh, goodness. Yeah, I... uh, (laughs) First of all, I am like near really tearing up over here with pride because I'm just so happy for Laura. But yes, these questions, I mean, I, it, it might get a little intense. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Wait, we? <laughs> and hold on. Can I just say that these are not the intense questions in the book? <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> like I went really easy on you because I thought it would make for a fun conversation. <laughs> Yeah, these are, but they're really good. They're really good for sure. I'm not even nervous about the conversation. I'm just nervous that we're all here. Like, like giddy, like a happy nervous, anxious, maybe it's a better word. Like, oh my word, this is happening. We're all here again. That it feels like a excited energy that I can't quite contain. So I understood the giddy up in your chair sort of comment. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so as I said, Laura has picked some really great conversation starters from her book. 
share your stuff. Um, I'll go first. And this is going to be such a great conversation. So we have a lot of ground to cover. We're going to get there in just a few minutes. But first, let's do go ahead and start this show the way that we always do with our awesomes of the week. It's that moment in the show where we talk about the books or TV shows, music, movies, podcasts, products, whatever's making life a little more awesome right now. Laura, since you are our charming guest this week, we would love to have you go first. Oh my God, I'm going first. I didn't know. Okay. <laughs> my awesome of the week is a CBD body butter by Yuzu Soap is the brand. Now, I had never heard of this brand. I picked this up last Christmas season. So like the Christmas season of 2019, when I was in a little boutique doing some holiday shopping, I don't know what came over me because I had tried various CBD products over the years. When that became really popular and then when it became legal and all of the things, people constantly told me that I should try CBD for my anxiety. Anxiety is something I have talked a lot about. In fact, I've talked a lot about it on this show. It was one of the most important conversations I've ever had online was an early, early episode of Sorta Awesome where I shared a lot about my anxiety and we, we talked about it a lot when I was on Sorta Awesome. So when the CBD products were sort of exploding everywhere, I tried everything. I mean, I tried gummies. I tried tinctures. I really was hopeful that it would do something for my lifelong anxiety, even if it just helped with sleep, even if it just helped with migraines, which is another thing. Like any of the symptoms, if it was to ease that, was going to make me really happy. And truly nothing worked. It either, I felt nothing at all from it or I didn't like the way it made me feel. I felt jittery or some kind of way I didn't like. So like I had tried a bunch of things. Nothing had ever worked. I'd pretty much given up on CBD products as something that would aid in any way with my, you know, nerves. (laughs) But I was in this boutique. I do not know why I picked this up. I think that the person who was helping me pick things out really was like, this is like our most popular product in the whole store. And it was a nice price point. And so I was like, well, I'll try it. If nothing else, it's like a nice lotion. You know what I mean? So I started using it over a year ago before bed. And I will rub it on my neck and I will rub it on the insides of my wrists, like where you would put perfume. I noticed a difference for the first time. In all of my CBD products, I felt like before bed, it would make me sleep better in a very light way, like, you know, maybe like melatonin wood or something. It's very light. You don't have any like feeling around it other than I started to notice that it really was having an effect, the intended effect, I think. And so I was like super on board. And then... So it's called CBD Body Butter by Yuzu Soap. It's literally just like a little lotion in this little jar. And then I put it in my secret posts, which is my newsletter. I recommended it in one of my gift guides and a bunch of people purchased it. And I have now heard from a lot of people who purchased it from my secret post that they also really, really love it. And so I felt like the Sort of Awesome community in general just needs to hear about this body butter. And since I bought it and, you know, hadn't heard of it, like heard of the brand before that, I think now it is available in, 
I read online Anthropology and maybe Nordstrom. So I think it is starting to get more of like a distribution where you could buy it online from a trusted source or whatever. Even though I, when I re- replenished it for myself, I bought it straight from the Yuzu Soap website and their customer service was amazing. So I do recommend that, but just like to give it a little credibility, it is now in stores. So anyway, I super love it. It is very mild. It has a little bit of a smell, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of an herbal smell, perhaps. <laughs> an earthiness to it. I don't like that. That's something I don't love, but it's fine. You know, I I think that's just like part of the deal, I guess, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yes. Okay, tell us the brand again. Yuzu Soap. So it's Y-U-Z-U Soap. And they make other products too. They make candles. They make um, lip balms, CBD lip balms. And they make a, a quite a few other um, CBD products. And I just, I really, really like it. Awesome. We will definitely put links in the show notes where people can check it out because I'm listening and I'm like, I'm sold. That sounds amazing. So yay. Thank you for bringing that. Rebecca, what do you have for awesome of the week this week? My awesome of the week is a recipe from my mother and it is a chocolate cherry cake with chocolate fudge glaze. Okay. Sounds delicious. Tell me more. (laughs) Well, I'm sharing this on this episode, because I think it might be a nice idea for Valentine's Day. You know, if you're staying in, you want to make something kind of fun and special. I think this cake will fit the bill, especially because it is super simple to make, but it's absolutely incredible. So the ingredients of the actual cake starts with a box cake mix. I mean, that's like so basic. Yeah. Yes. So easy. So basic. And I always get the most chocolatey one that I can find at the store. I stand there and I look at them all and I'm like, okay, triple chocolate fudge delight. Yes, you, you win. Whatever is the most decadent, pick that one up. It also calls for some almond extract. If you don't have that, you can leave it out. It's not a big deal. Two eggs. And then the key ingredient is a can of cherry pie filling. Mm. That's Sounds like you can't go wrong with that. I am digging it. Yes. It is so good. Now, the batter is going to be really thick, but when you mix that in, you know, you just want to gently mix it in so that the cherries don't get all smushed. You, what you really want is when you're biting into the cake to have like a nice plump little cherry surprise in there for you. No, so you're going to gently cherries. mix all the- Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what she said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then you pour that over the cake while it is still warm. So the cake itself, it is not dry. It's, it, it's, it's moist, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's almost. Wait, light. I love how you, I love how you did do like a running start for that word. <laughs> well, you went there. So I'm like, I'm just going to dive in and go for it. Yeah, I'm just blocking it out now, but keep going about the cake. 
you know, it's almost light in flavor, but with these cherry surprises in there. But then the glaze is like the pow, <laughs> the like over the top amazingness. It's so decadent, so good. You guys are the worst. <laughs> By the worst, you mean the best. I just, I can't even hear what you're saying. Every sentence is hilarious to me right now. Thank you, Rebecca, for bringing this cake. <laughs> You'll love it. It will spice up your Valentine's Day in all the best ways. It's That's right. like it. In the show notes. <laughs> okay, but I will say, Rebecca, I love to make desserts on Valentine's Day. It's almost like as much for my kids as it is for my husband and I. Or you could say there's two separate kinds of you know, holidays, if you have a family, like the kids joy of Valentine's. So this will be just such a fun thing to either make with them or to serve to them to mark the day that doesn't have to be like about romance. It's just about love That's and right. the moist cherry surprise. <laughs> okay. Again, we'll doing what we do best. Okay, good. Yes, that is amazing. Thank you, Rebecca. Okay, Kelly, on the heels of that, um, what yeah, do you have for us this week? <laughs> So I actually have a game. Um, you guys, and, and here's the hard thing is that I'm going to tell you about this game and you're going to want to go out and buy it right away. However, it is kind of sold out. It's so hard to get. It is very popular. So let me tell you about it. It's called Box One. It is a game. It is a um, like an escape room in a board game designed for one player, designed, and it was like invented, designed by Neil Patrick Harris. So this game was released at Target exclusively last fall, like before the holiday season, and it immediately sold out. So they keep getting little shipments. So what you're going to have to do is either check your store or check Target.com, or you can go to Amazon and pay $80 for it. You know what I mean? Like people are selling them there for that kind of crazy money. It's really normally about $30. Um, it is I, obviously, I'm not going to be able to give too much away because it's it's a, like a puzzle, right? It's full of trivia and puzzles and other things that people can do. It's designed for one player at a time, although there's nothing to say that you couldn't do it with, you know, one other person. It is really for ages 14 and up because of how the puzzle hardness is. And you do need internet access to try to break some of the codes in the game of trivia. So I happened to find this game back online. I wanted it for Christmas, couldn't find it. I found it online between Christmas and New Year's, ordered it right away, gave it to my 19-year-old daughter, Natalie, and she loved this, you guys. And she is not easy to please. She has done a few escape rooms. She really likes them. And of course, that's not something that's available to most of us right now because of the pandemic. So she took this game to her room and she would come upstairs and say, oh my word, this is so much better than I imagined it would be. Like there are lots of times in here that I am solving things and I didn't know where they were going and there was a twist. And she's like, I was like, those cheeky devils. <laughs> Which I was like, that's, that's, yeah, yes. what I think all the time when I'm playing a game, those cheeky devils. Um, it, she just said it was so much fun. It probably took her um, three hours if you took the time, you know, like not all at once. She said it's kind of nice to be able to do it for a little while and then you can step back. There's things that you interact with online. There are message boards. You can get clues so that you're not going to get stuck. Um, but she just said it was really, really fun, very clever. One of the like games that she's seen that has been the most well done in recent years. And the fun thing about it then is that now that we have it, now she's passed it on to Connor, who's 17. So he's going to do it. And then eventually maybe I will help one of the younger kids do it. Maybe Corey will help the other younger kid do it. And then we could pass it on to another family. So you can do it in such a way that you're not 
you know, there's no surprises in there that once opened, you can never reopen it in the same way and you you can't do the game you know like you can do it multiple times as long as you're careful you know she said like I didn't always write down my clues right on the notepad that they give you you know like they you can do it that way but it was such a fun thing and especially for this time of year and you know during the pandemic and sometimes just needing something new and I love that you could kind of do it by yourself I don't know I'm an extrovert and even me being at home with all of my people all the time like to say I'm gonna go to my room and do a game for a while like no one bother me it's something that you can do other than scrolling TikTok. Not that there's anything wrong with that main pastime of all of us. And don't call me out in front of everybody. I, I know. I'm calling myself out here, girl. It is embarrassing. But having something that you can do, a lot of people, I know even in the Hangout, have said, like, is there something I can do other than just scroll social media and either get worried or upset or, you know, or just enjoy cat videos on TikTok? So... It's called Box One, presented by Neil Patrick Harris, exclusively at Target. I'm going to say, just put yourself a little reminder on your phone. Go there every day, and if you can snag yourself one, you will be happy. So great. And listen, if it impresses a 19-year-old girl who is as smart and savvy as Natalie is, I'm like, okay, sign me up. This sounds incredible, for sure. Okay, you guys, my awesome of the week this week is a book. It is a YA fantasy novel called The Extraordinaries, and it's written by T.J. Klune. Now, this book, first of all, let's just pause and acknowledge that a YA fantasy book is totally on brand for me. (laughs) I am not picking up the challenging reading material right now or really ever in my life. So... But seriously, this book is so good and it's so fun. And I am super loving it because it came into my life by a recommendation from one of my books and reading gurus, Katie Proctor, who came to sort of awesome at the end of last year to tell us about all the great books we might have missed in 2020. So she messaged me on Facebook and she was like, I don't know if you've read it, but this book is totally up your alley, The Extraordinaries. Um, She said, it's even good on audio. And I was like, oh my gosh, almost all the reading I'm doing right now is on audio. So I bought it immediately on Audible. Within just a few minutes of starting it, I messaged her back and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in love. This is delightful. So let me give you a little of the background and the setup. First of all, she sold it to me as Rainbow Rowell's fangirl meets the urban fantasy genre. As you all may know, Rainbow Rowell's fangirl is like one of my favorite books ever. So mine too. Yeah. I was on board immediately. I also really love urban fantasy. I mean, I love fantasy genre in general, but urban fantasy is so fun because it really puts you in the context of like the real universe, except there's something magical about it. So this book takes place in a world where superheroes are real. So kind of think like Marvel Cinematic Universe style of universe. Uh, We meet our protagonist named Nick Bell. He's a teenage boy who is struggling with ADHD. He's grieving the recent loss of his mother. He's also a prolific fan fiction writer. So if you've listened to our sort of spicy series, uh, you may have heard the, this, that's for our Patreon supporters. Rebecca and I had a long conversation with mostly me talking about how much I love fandoms and fan fiction. Right, Rebecca? It was amazing. One of my most favorite times recording with you ever. I had so many words about it. Anyway, in this book, we have Nick. He he does write fan fiction about these superheroes that are living in and fighting crime in this in this city called Nova City that's supposed to be like New York City. So Nick thinks he's in love with one of the superheroes. What he doesn't realize he's 
is he's actually in love with his best friend, Seth, and hijinks ensue from there. It is such a great story. I love the portrayal of high school cliques in this book and friend groups and dynamics. Um, it's startling for me as a 43-year-old mom of many, like how much high school friend stuff has changed, except I also see so much in Nick's friend group. Like I see it so much in my daughter's friend groups. They're high school and middle school friend groups. So it's very relatable in that sense. Um, and then there's a lot of things that are just like, this is how high school is. And it's so great. It's very inclusive storytelling. It's very touching and tender at points. It's also absolutely laugh out loud funny. There are several moments in the book where I was literally, literally walking around my house laughing as I was listening. So anyway, it's called The Extraordinaries. It's by TJ Klune. I recommend it so much, especially if you enjoy the YA genre and you enjoy a little magical superhero story thrown in too. So, so good. Thank you, Katie Proctor, for that. Um, so these were the awesomes of the week for us this week. As always, we will put links into the show notes for you all to go and check them out for yourselves. And as always, we love to hear what is awesome in your life. So if you have not joined us on social media, we would love to have you there. Whether you come over to Instagram to find us at Sorta Awesome Show or come and join us in our Facebook group, the Sorta Awesome Hangout, you can come and find us there at facebook.com slash groups slash Sorta Awesome Hangout. We have so much conversation ahead for you guys with our dear friend, Laura Tremaine, on this reunion group show. So we'll be back with that in just a few minutes. Okay, Awesomes, you know, one of our favorite things to do on Sorta Awesome is to tell you about the products that we are obsessing over. I have to tell you, if our one-year-old Nico Gus could tell you what he is obsessed with, it is hands down his new favorite book club called Literati Kids. So if any of us are sitting down anywhere in the house, if it's me or Kyle, one of my daughters, one of the twins, if you're sitting down, Nico will bring you his new very favorite book. It's called Leo and Melody at the Farm. And Nico is absolutely obsessed with it. He loves the pictures. It's one of those sensory books where you can feel and pet the animals. You can smell the lavender growing on the farm. It's a great little board book. I have read this book to him countless times and so has everybody else around here. We are so thrilled with the selection of books that we got from Literati Kids. Literati Kids is a subscription book club that sends five beautiful children's books to your door each month, and they are all handpicked by experts. Literati Kids has book clubs for children ages birth to 12, and each club has age-appropriate selections tailored to what your kid needs. Now, I've been parenting for 16 years now. I know it's tough sorting through the millions of kids' books that get released every year, trying to find the rich, engaging stories that you want for your children, and Literati Kids takes care of all of that for you. Every month, you'll get a box of five expertly chosen kids' books with themes like mystery, adventure, STEM, history, these are soul-enriching books that are handpicked by leaders in child education. And unlike other kids' book clubs, Literati Kids lets you try before you buy. You only keep the books that your child loves and you can return the rest for free. Isn't that just incredibly awesome? You're not going to find this kind of expert curation anywhere else. And gift subscriptions are available for one, three, six, or 12 months of books. It's a great way to keep that holiday magic going all through 2021, whether you're gifting books to a niece, a grandson, a friend's child, or to your own. We are huge fans of Literati Kids. We know you will be too. So go to literati.com slash awesome for 25% off of your first two orders and pick your kids' book club today. 
Remember, no one else has kids book clubs like these. Only at literati.com slash awesome can you get 25% off of your first two orders and receive five incredible kids books. They're all curated by experts. They're delivered to your door every month. That's literati.com slash awesome. Okay, Laura. My gosh, are you ready to introduce us to your new child, your baby that is coming out into the world? (laughs) She's so pretty. Oh my gosh. Yes. One of the best, best book covers ever. You guys, please tell me you have seen it. It is so beautiful. Did you die when you got the first mock-up back of this cover? Yes. And this was a first try for the publisher and I had heard from several author friends that the whole cover thing, especially for a first-time author where maybe you don't have a lot of say or, you know, you don't want to be difficult or whatever, that the cover choices and the cover battle can be like a whole big thing. And so I had really geared up for like, I didn't know what I wanted the cover to look like, but I had geared up that like it was going to be a lot of back and forth. It was going to be like a lot of debate and all of this kind of thing. I put together a Pinterest board of book covers I loved and sent it to the publisher, but they were, you know, there were some through lines. There were some themes maybe that I really liked, but they were wildly different covers. So it wasn't like I knew exactly what I wanted. I just was like, I love these. Sent that to the publisher. They came back with three cover options. This was the first one. And I like clicked it open and opened on my computer and I had braced myself. I was like, this is going to be rough, right? Okay. And I clicked open and it was there. And then I was like, oh, that's it. That's it. And then I was like, am I, am I having pandemic brain? (laughs) I truly was like, I, maybe I'm delusional. I went down and got Jeff. He was like on a call and I was like, I need you to come look at something. And I made him come up and look at it. And I, and I didn't give him anything. I was just like, I'm just, we got the covers. I'm going to show you the options. And I clicked open the first one. Didn't say anything. And he was like, well, that's it. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. So that was very exciting about that. Yes. Okay. So it is a beautiful cover. Truly, the cover sells it. But what's inside the pages, and I keep saying this, every time I talk about this book, Laura, I give the caveat that I am the most biased reader. I've been waiting for this book as long as you've been dreaming of writing a book from way back in your blogging days. Remember, I would even just like type comments on your blog posts, like can't wait for your book, Laura. This is, you are such a good writer and you always have been. So I am extremely biased, but I've had the absolute honor to read it cover to cover. And you guys, it's a good one. It's a change your lifer. It really is. Um, so you've had ideas about writing a memoir for years, but as you kind of like took off onto this journey, this path, like you mentioned at the top of the show, this book really evolved from like starting out with the idea of being a kind of standard memoir of telling some stories from your life, some essays, reflections on your life. It really evolved into something that became more interactive. So before we get into our conversation, tell us a little bit about how that evolution happened and, and what the final product is as a book, how it's kind of meant to work for the reader. So this is not the book I thought I was going to write. Like I've always wanted to write a book. I've always had certain stories or 
commentary or things that I really wanted to put in book form that I never blogged about, that I never talked on a podcast about because I felt like they were meant for a book. They needed to be long form writing. A lot of these things that I had never shared. So when I was thinking about that through all of these years, I always thought it would end up being, like you said, either a traditional memoir type of thing or a book of essays. That to me felt like what I was good at writing. That's a very like classifiable genre of book. Yeah. <laughs> and this is actually something different. What ended up happening was I started my podcast, 10 Things to Tell You. And this sort of idea on 10 Things to Tell You is that each episode asks a question. It's an interactive podcast where I want people to take the question or the topic that I share each week. And then I want them to engage with the topic, either in their journal or with a friend, or if they feel comfortable posting on social media about it. So I enjoyed doing that on 10 Things to Tell You so much and really getting other people to share. It became as important to me as me sharing, which mm. I have been sharing for like all this time. I just sure. All yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 totally. But when I started to realize that so many people, they don't feel as comfortable sharing as I do, but they like the idea of it or they want the connection that comes from sharing, but they like, they need a little bit of help in like, well, where do you start? What kinds of things do you share? How do you have these deeper conversations with someone? How do you make that connection or deepen a relationship? So that sort of started to be kind of like a, byproduct of what was happening on 10 things to tell you the podcast. Right. And I was like, I have to make this idea of the questions and the sharing and the deeper conversations. That's what the book needs to be. And that's just not what I thought I was whatever. Right. You know? And so the book share your stuff is really a tangible version of what the podcast is. There are 10 chapters, each chapter asks one big life question. Some of them are deep. Some of them are lighter to sort of get your own brain thinking about the milestones in your life or the important moments in your life, the important people in your life, the things in your life that are about your identity or your personality or your spirit, like sort of identifying those for yourself. Yeah. All of the questions, even the lighter ones are are coming back to that idea because you really have to know yourself before you can share well and ask others about themselves. So there's 10 big questions. We're going to ask one of them here today. And then in between the chapters, there's these sort of lighter, some of them are funny lists. Yeah. And they're meant also to get you thinking about what your answers to these questions would be. And then, of course, I'm sharing in all of this, in the chapters and in the lists, I'm sharing my stuff yes. because I just have so much stuff to share. <laughs> so that's how the book came out. I never would have predicted this. I never would have thought I would write a book like this because I don't use the word gimmick in a bad way, but like it's, I think I thought I would have written something maybe a little higher brow. I don't know. <laughs> Well, maybe even just a little bit more 
conventional, right? This is this takes the idea of a book and almost creates like a built-in book club that you could do with it, or at the very least, some great conversation starters if you want to go deeper in conversation. I I think that more than like gimmicky, it's like it has a solid hook to it. Like there's really so much to dig into here. Well, I think the difference is that you don't have to know or care anything about me. Where a lot of times, not that I will read a memoir from someone I don't know anything about, if it's a very, very compelling story, of course. I, I do that all the time. I really like memoir. But a lot of people, they mostly like to read about other people's lives if they have some sort of familiarity with the person sure. for some reason. Mm-hmm. This book, because it's interactive, I hope you take something from my personal stories, but it's really about the reader. Like, you don't have to know anything about me. You don't have to have ever listened to my show or followed me on social media or anything to, I think, take something for yourself from the questions that are in the book and from the different ways to think about having deeper conversations. So that's, I don't use gimmicky in a bad term at all. I just, it's not traditional. And so I, you know, I struggled with that at first. I was like, is this like... What is this? But it just kept like being, you know, a natural way because that's how I do my podcast. It became a natural way for me to write the book. And so now here we have it. And I I really love the way that it turned out. I don't have any weird feelings about the structure of it now. I'm super proud of it. It's so great because it is so much more than a book and you're writing it. It is beautiful. I was moved to tears a number of times. I got to hear stories, even though I've known you since we were in high school, I got to hear stories that I'd never heard before that were extremely powerful and extremely moving. And even the stories I've known for a long time, just seeing them in print and re-experiencing them alongside you is fantastic. So, and I love that it really does have those prompts built in. So it becomes something more than a reading experience. It really is a reflection experience as well. So speaking of reflection, you have picked a few things to ask us. Where should we start today? Okay, I have one big question that I want us all to answer. Okay. This is one of the questions from a chapter in the book. This is a chapter question from Share Your Stuff. And that is, when did you belong? And I care so much about this because we know Brene Brown has taught us so well Uh that belonging is such a crucial part of the human spirit and human connection. And I feel like from working online all this time, I've seen people who are maybe connected to a million acquaintances or have a ton of Facebook friends or whatever, but they are deeply lonely. Yeah. And they don't know why. And I guess I wanted to write about belonging and I want us to talk about belonging because if you can think of a time in your life when you did feel a sense of belonging and like how fulfilling that was, it can help you think about where you belong now. Sometimes it's just fun to be nostalgic about like, oh, remember when I, you know, belonged as a kid, I, you know, had these great feelings, but then it can also be very informative to like where in your life you do or don't belong as adults we very often stay in places that we do not belong. We mm. either outgrow we outgrow them yes. and we 
don't know how to step away mm-hmm. or we're too polite or we care about some kind of bigger picture, culture, dynamic that makes us feel like we don't have the freedom to yep. say, I don't belong here or I don't belong here anymore. I'll see myself out. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be this angsty when we talk about belonging. In the book, I write about my summer camp days that were just, you know, it was very nostalgic to me to write about this childhood time when I really felt like I was a part of something bigger than myself. You know, it doesn't always have to be like this itchy uncomfortableness. Although I do think that when you start to talk through these questions, even if you start from a place of nostalgia, you sort of start to creep towards, but wait a minute. Yeah, (laughs) totally. It's so true. Well, I'll go first because that's the title of the book. (laughs) The belonging that I want to talk about here today, because I really think sort of awesome listeners will relate to this, is when I had newborns, or I had one newborn and a two-year-old, I was blogging. I was a couple of years into blogging and I went to a blogging conference with the baby strapped to my chest. And when I came home, a group was formed of bloggers. In fact, maybe Meg formed that group. (laughs) A group was formed. A group (laughs) was formed where she just invited a handful of like-minded bloggers. Now the original intent of this group was meant to be to support one another in our all in our blogging journeys, like how to get more traffic to our blog. And this was years and years ago. My child that was the baby is nine now. So this was like seven, eight years ago. And I had come out of my immense lonely days. I had I've written and talked a lot about how I had really, really lonely time in my early marriage and early parenthood. I was sort of out of that. I'd been blogging at a book club now. But again, I was felt like I was strapped at home with these babies. When this group started, we were all united by the fact that we were bloggers, but other than that, we're really different. We were spread across the country. We were like a 15 year age range, I think. And some of us were mothers, some of us were not, some of us were married, some of us were not. There was just a a lot of differences besides this one thing that we all spent a lot of time online, which meant we were all spending a lot of time in this newly formed group that we started. And I felt such a sense of belonging in that group, not only because these were amazing, powerful, smart, funny women, they were, but also because up until that time, I poured a lot of, of my life into my blog and what I was trying to do, getting a writing career going online. And I actually felt a lot of shame for spending so much time online. Mm-hmm. Anyone in my real life did not understand my online obsession. Yeah, right. And suddenly I was around these other women who I really admired, really respected what they were doing. And they were also on the internet eight hours a day. Mm. And there was not like a shame of how much time we were spending on the internet, trying to get some traction in this thing we were doing. Yeah. I felt so seen in that group. People were so like supportive and encouraging as girlfriends can be, but also I just felt like a deep relief of like, okay, these are my people. Like they aren't judging what I'm doing. There was so much judgment in the mommy blogging days. If we can hearken back and recall, Yeah, 
I felt like there was no judgment. I could talk about these things that I cared about, like SEO and like, you know, random stuff, like online stuff that literally no one else in my life had any idea what I was talking about. And so the combination between being understood on this, on this online level, which was really, really important to me then and now, as well as me being stuck at home all the time with little tiny children and this group being like my main social outlet. Yeah. I just felt like I was a part of something. And I look back at those years that that group still exists and is wonderful, wonderful source of encouragement, but we're not all online in the same way anymore. I look back at those years and be like, those women carried me through. I mean, Mm. period, hands down, no question. Yeah. And of all the belonging stories that a person could share, I wanted to share that one not only because Meg started that group, but also because I can see when I'm in the hangout group that you have started and led all these years of Sorta Awesome, I can see how many women in there, like that group is a lifeline for them. And that is so beautiful and so important. And I Mm. hate it when anybody diminishes what online relationships can be because it, they may not be for 50 years, but there is nothing wrong with saying these online women that I've maybe never even met in real life, they are carrying me through and I'm Mm. carrying them. And that's amazing. It is. I'm going to start crying. So Kelly, yeah. I'm going to hand the uh, the microphone over to you for a minute. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was really, I mean, I know that group of women. <laughs> I may be in that group of women. And so it's just, it's special. I love what you said about online friendships, especially because I think that most of us would be inclined to think about our real life, a time we belonged in the real world, which is important too. But to not diminish those online connections is so important. I think especially as we become more accustomed to living our lives online and in times like this, when we just have to be more isolated, the fact that we can still connect on a screen, it's not everything, but it is something. And it can be a lot of something. Absolutely. Okay. So when I was thinking, everything that you said in your lead up, Laura, to belonging, it is kind of a question that has a lot of bittersweetness to it. I feel like when you look back at your life, the very first thing I thought of when I thought, where did I belong was youth group. And then by extension, the Christian college that I went to, which was really just youth group with classes, you know, (laughs) that's that's the best, best descriptor of going to a Christian college I have literally ever heard. I love it. (laughs) Well, I didn't think about it until I was thinking about it in this context, but I thought, and for me, my church literally was 10 minutes from my Christian college, and I had spent a ton of time at the college that I went to when I was in high school because I did post-secondary education there, and all of my youth group leaders went there. So it was like all of this overlap. They just easily flowed into each other. Of course, I made different friends when I went to college, you know, but the, the experience of having such a deep belonging. And when I look back, I'm like, of course, I belonged for several different reasons. One was because we had a shared view of everything of the world, right? Um, We were all, I think, without exception, almost white, you know, middle class people who were living in Minnesota, sharing a very specific view of the faith and in that worldview, if you will, 
Um, so there was a sense of belonging naturally. Also, being an extrovert and feeling so loved and seen in youth group, like this is my my spot. This is my jam. There's people here. We talk on the phone. Every weekend we're hanging out together. We're making memories. We support each other. It just felt so natural. And then college was just an extension of that. I just added more people into my group, you know? Um, we would play jokes together. We would go to class together. We would ditch chapel together. You know, all of the things that make it just so easy. And you feel like these are the people who have my back. Um, now, the reason I say bittersweet is that I now look back at that and think, well, it's really easy to belong when you're in that context. Mm. However, I don't regret it. I, I, It really set me up. It was like fertile ground for roots to grow. And something that I think about a lot lately is, you know, Richard Rohr has written a book called Falling Upwards. It's wisdom for the second half of life. And in that book, he talks a lot about how the fact that we need to set up our containers, like the first half of our life, we should have places like that we feel known, that we feel secure, um, that life feels safe. And we need that because otherwise we just don't have a good foundation to then kind of tear that apart and say, well, wait, life isn't that easy. It's not that well, you know, put together. But if we don't have the solid at the beginning, it's hard for us to do the next phase. And then the next phase, which is really then like reestablishing a new. So I thought that's really what youth group and, and the Christian college was for me. I can look back and say, I can see how many people were excluded because it was so easy for me to be included. You know, my belonging, which then I thought everyone felt that same way. I was not even aware of all the people on the fringe who didn't belong. And I look back with regret on that part of it. But I can also say, if I just look at me, it did serve me well. And it helped me get to the point where now I, I don't belong in that context anymore. But I'm grateful for the investment of people in my life, the friendships, you know, the youth group leaders, the professors, of what they did for me back then in setting me up in a good place. And here's the thing, I think too, as a parent of having kids who are at those ages and that don't have that same sense of belonging in a, in a church youth group, um, I, I feel sad for them. Like I also completely support like their own personalities and their own journey. They are not youth. My, my two teenagers well, I guess I've got one brand new one, but the the two older ones are not youth group kids. They're just not. They're never going to, it's not, they're not extroverted. They don't want to do silly games around the fire. They don't want to have kumbaya moments. They're like, ew, yuck, no. Like, that's not my thing. I'm not going to do that. Um, so that's just not them. And that's, again, where I'm like, oh, there were, I can look back now and see all these other kids that were in my youth group with me that we just like let fall off the sides because we were like, well, this is what we do. Yes. <laughs> If you don't want kumbia moments, I don't know what to do with you. Go well, be in peace, you know. So anyway, they're not having that. And that is that is a sadness, a little bit of a sadness in my heart for me. Because I know that there was something really good about that belonging, that deep belonging, especially at those ages, you know, when you're launching, like upper teens and into college. Having that sense of belonging is really, really a wonderful thing. It is. It is. And I think that's so important to say, like developmentally, human development wise in those teen and early young adult years, you need that sameness to kind of get your bearings straight a little bit. As you grow older, you can shed that and embrace diversity, I think more like cognitively and incarnationally. Laura and I shared a lot of youth group years together, some very sweet and lovely wholesome moments and some very not wholesome moments as well. Oh yeah, well, we definitely look back. My sister and I look back and say, "What? What was happening there? 
what in the world? What adult allowed that to happen? So yeah. yeah. But at the time it was like, hey, we all shared this dysfunction. That was great. <laughs> you know what's funny about what you're saying, Kelly, is I've thought about so many aspects of this belonging question and write a little bit about it in the book that one of the dark sides to talking about belonging is the opposite is not belonging. Yeah. And it can bring yeah. up very tender moments of when you didn't belong. Yeah. And I think I mostly thought of that in a time when you belonged and then you didn't and sort of the, because that's what's happened in my life, like the pain of outgrowing something. But I hadn't fully thought through what you're saying, Kelly, about talking about belonging also naturally extends itself to talk about exclusivity mm -hmm. and somebody didn't belong yeah. in these times that we all felt belonging. And it's definitely a side of this to think about for sure. Yeah. So true. So true. Rebecca, how about you? A time when you experienced that wonderful feeling of belonging? Well, when Laura presented us with this prompt, my mind went to a very specific moment in time, like a 60 second moment when I truly felt the most included within a group. Um, but the introduction to all of that is that when my husband and I were engaged, we were looking for a new church in our area and we started attending this church and right away we saw that there was a new small group that was forming for recently married or engaged couples. And we reached out and we're like, well, that's us. <laughs> we, we could use some friends. Uh, we should probably do this because the church that we attending was kind of big it's like well how in the world do you meet people other than you know meeting in a small group so we formed this group we were there like night one of uh, us getting together and meeting each with each other and this group ended up growing to be eight couples and we truly as cliche as this word is or this phrase we truly did life together you know, we were really learning what it was like to be married and to be newlyweds. The wives asked each other like questions, uh, intimate questions that we would like almost whisper to each other. Like, is this normal? <laughs> <laughs> what are we supposed to be doing it like this? Is this okay? Um, <laughs> you know, we, we shared recipes. We met in each other's homes and we ate meals together. We uh, we started getting pregnant and having babies together and that huge shift then from not just wife to also then motherhood and parenthood in general, like how in the world do you do this? How just, just it, it was such a fundamental time in my maturity in my development as a wife, as a woman, as a mother. And these people mean the world to me. Yeah. And then things went very, very badly. Mm -hmm. um, one of the little boys in our group was diagnosed with cancer. He lost his life to cancer at the age of five. Mm -hmm. And as a group, we met at the church and were standing in the back in the lobby waiting to go in. And somebody came up to us and said, there's a place for you behind the family mm, yeah 
we all walked in together. And in those 60 seconds of walking from the lobby up to sit in the rows directly behind the family, I felt so incredibly honored, Mm. respected, included. Never in my life have I felt somebody telling me, you are of value to me. We do life together. We celebrate together, but we also, we grieve together. Yes. And you deserve to be here just as much as anybody else. And I honor you in the darkest moment of my life Mm. with this special seed. Yes. And I think there was, it's just beautiful. It's beautiful. I think who you choose to celebrate with is one thing, but then who you choose to mourn with when you're literally on the floor sobbing, that's something else, you know? And um, my aunt passed away this past fall. She, um, She died from cancer. She was 68 years old, never been married, did not have any children. And as we thought about how to honor my aunt, one question that I kept saying as we were debating about a funeral service and then numbers with COVID got really bad, that that all got canceled. Um, but as we were thinking about the service and like who was going to speak and who was e- who should even be invited because of the like COVID numbers and stuff, one question I kept saying is, where are her friends? Because mm. we need to honor and remember her friends because those friends are not just friends, but they're family. And we, of course, are her family, but where are her sisters? Like yes. her sisters outside of blood because yes. those women, those people in her life, they are of value and we need to honor them and respect the loss that they also have received. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, yeah. That's so good. And I think it's so interesting, Rebecca, I think that you're like what you said about who you celebrate with is important, but who you mourn with, it says so much about where you belong. I think that is such a universal understanding of like, who is actually, who, who do you belong to and who belongs to you? I think that's so real. And I do think it's so interesting to think about too, that each of us are sharing about these places where we fit in and belong during these big transitions in our lives. So I've never thought about it this way, but maybe it is part of the human experience that when you're going through a big life transition, it's when you're like maybe the most sensitive to like, do I belong here or where do I belong? Where do I fit in? Um, The time I'm thinking of when I felt that sense of belonging had to do with when I was pregnant and getting ready to have my first baby and actually going on into when our second child was born. And this is when we lived in San Marcos, Texas. I think I've talked about this group on sort of awesome before, because they are such a, that was such a fundamental time in my life. I called them, we called ourselves our prayer coffee group and everything that I learned about how to do community in a healthy, loving, embracing way. I learned from my prayer coffee friends. I wasn't born knowing how to do community. They taught me and I was formed in that group. And so this was a time when Kyle was coaching. He was never home. I don't say that like in an ugly way. He will admit that was a time he just didn't see me or our children after we had children like ever. And so I was kind of 
coming into parenthood and also doing a lot of it by myself. And when we first moved to this little college town, a group of women um, at a church that we had just kind of visited, we weren't members or anything, but we were just visiting around. One of them pulled me aside and basically was like, you look like you could use a group of friends and (laughs) invited me to the Friday morning gatherings that they had. Um, And that group grew over the years and we became so entwined in each other's lives. Not everybody went to the same church. Some were some were Baptists, some were Catholics, some were, you know, all non-denominational, all the different strains of church life were represented there. Um, and we originally did gather to quote unquote share prayer requests, <laughs> which is often Christian lady code speak for like serving the tea on what's really going on in life. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> And so through the years, they truly taught me what it is like to truly embrace somebody as they are in the moment that they are there without demanding change, just loving a person in that moment. They taught me about trusting your deepest secrets to to a community, what that looks like to do the trusting of those things and to receive it. They taught me about how to um, show up for somebody, even when they're kind of pushing you away and saying like, no, I'm good, I'm fine, to still show up with dinner on their doorstep and um, you know, all of the incarnational ways that community works. So I look back on those prayer coffee days because I didn't know a soul when we moved to that community, not a soul. And I had just recently left teaching and I was about to have my first baby and I was scared to death. And, you know, mommy groups get such a bad name and they can be very intense and very divisive. But in this group of women, there were people who did all kinds of parenting practices. The women who were there, like their oldest children at the time were like six, seven, eight. So like nobody felt like they were an actual expert. But, um, you know, there was women who did cry it out and women who co-slept with their babies and like all of the different things. And like, it wasn't a thing. Like we just coexisted together and loved each other and embraced each other for what worked best. So truly, I look back as that, at that time is so much belonging, but also they literally taught me everything that I know about community. And I'll always be grateful for that. Can we just raise a toast to the woman who pulled you aside and said, you look like you could use a friend group? Like (laughs) I, that's never happened to me, but also I want to be that person. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And if you've ever been on the the receiving end of that, of like needing a friend group, I think that really does. It helps you to to have the courage to step out. What's the worst somebody could say if you say that to him? Like, no, I'm good. I got all the friends I need. <laughs> I mean, maybe that happens, but probably not. So, all right. Okay. Whoa. This was a lot of very real conversation. We have so much more lighthearted ones that we're going to pop into here in just a few minutes. All right, friends, the new year is here, and this marks a fresh start for your small business. Whether you're shifting business hours or maybe you're hiring more remote employees, one thing that remains unchanged is the importance of having the right people on your team. When your business is ready to make that next hire, LinkedIn Jobs can help by matching your role with qualified candidates so you can find the right person quickly. I've spent so much time looking through the LinkedIn Jobs platform, and I'm always overwhelmed and impressed by how much priority LinkedIn Jobs places on getting your job posting right in front of the people who are going to be the best possible match for your business. And LinkedIn is already an active community of professionals with more than 722 million members worldwide. Getting started is easier than ever with new features to help you find qualified candidates quickly. 
Post a job with targeted screening questions and LinkedIn will quickly get your role in front of more qualified candidates. And now you can manage job posts and contact candidates from a single view on the familiar linkedin.com as functions are streamlined into one simple screen. And now you can even do all of this from your mobile device, no matter where the day takes you. That's how LinkedIn jobs can help you hire the right person faster. So visit linkedin.com slash awesome to get $50 off of your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash awesome to get $50 off of your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, friends, as you may know, there are a few people on this planet I trust more for beauty recommendations than my very own sister and sort of awesome regular Emily Harris. Last spring, when she was on the show, we were doing an episode back in March about 10 things to look forward to in spring of 2020. Emily talked about how much she loves the Allure Beauty Box. And I got to tell you guys, I have gotten into it too. With the Allure Beauty Box, each month you're going to get over six Allure approved makeup and skincare picks that are delivered to your door. You get over $100 in value for only $23. That's right. Six or more products. At least three of those are going to be full-sized. The value is always over $100 and their selections are always and only expert approved products that are hand selected by the Allure editors. Something else that's fun is when you sign up as a new member, you're going to get a new member gift that's valued at over $15. There's free shipping in the contiguous United States and they always are offering members only discounts and events. Signing up is super simple. All you got to do is go to sortaawesomeshow.com slash Allure. That is our Allure Beauty Box affiliate link. It's going to get you all signed up and it's going to do great things for the show too. So to check out the Allure Beauty Box, go to sortaawesomeshow.com slash Allure. Okay, Laura, let's talk about some things that are maybe a little bit more lighthearted. I love the list that you have included in the book. You know how I love a list of 10. It's built into the DNA of Sorta Awesome because I love it so much. And I love these little like, they're kind of like little interludes of just like, ah, that's a fun thing to think about. You've picked out a few of them for us. Tell us what our, uh, our next conversation prompt is. Okay, so this is one of the earliest lists in the book. It is 10 weird things I've done. And... <laughs> First of all, I had to narrow this list down when I was writing it. <laughs> but second of all, I liked making this list and I like sharing it for others to add to this list for themselves because, you know, we all have these like super random little asides. Sure, like sure, sure. A job you had for two months when you were 16 uh-huh. or you know, a person you dated in your twenties for a hot minute. Like we all have these weird little things that like they just don't fit into any other story. I'm so glad it's not just me. My life is filled with those, (laughs) those little anecdotes. And so they're not enough to like build a chapter on, which is why they end up in this list. But they're also like, when did you get a chance to even say them? Maybe they randomly pop up in like, some kind of conversation and then but it's such a non sequitur people are like huh (laughs) (laughs) so now here's our chance to share some of the weird things that we've done i'll go first Uh, this is one from the book but i i couldn't not do this one and i'm just gonna have to expand after i read what i wrote 
Okay. One of mine is, I became a singing telegram for Valentine's Day. <laughs> As part of a show choir fundraising effort, I drove all over town with a boom box. This is real life, everyone. Yes. <laughs> delivering song and dance numbers for unsuspecting lovebirds. <laughs> So let me tell you about this because it is worse than whatever you are picturing. It's <laughs> <laughs> so cute. Laura's like, no, let me tell you. So I was in a show choir. I was heavily into music, which is bizarro land to me now because that has nothing to do with my adulthood. I did not one single musical thing post age 17. But when we were in high school, Megan and I were both super into show choir and it wasn't show choir like Glee. I mean, it was a little bit like Glee. I mean, a little. But it's a little like Glee. <laughs> it was. There are some similar elements for sure. But this was a seriously '90s flavor show yeah. choir. So I'm talking sequins up to the halter, big rhinestone earrings, <laughs> a lot lips. of satin, red lips. Well, I kept the red lips. Um, a lot of pantyhose, like so many pantyhose and then like high heel, like Mary Poppins style shoes. The whole thing was crazy. Anyway, a fundraiser for the show choir, because we had fundraisers was that you could buy a singing telegram and they would come to your place of business or your home <laughs> And these teenagers would sing to you. So I Which carried... who doesn't want that? For Valentine's so, Day. So romantic. Y'all, you would die. You would die a thousand deaths. I sang to bank tellers in the bank. I sang at the post office. Mm -hmm. I sang. And you know, it's so awkward. First of all, the person that you're singing to feels embarrassed, but then the other office mates are just standing around watching <laughs> your teenage self do like the grapevine, like one, two, three, clap, one, two, and I would sing my little heart out and I just, I don't know if I wasn't self-aware enough to be horrified or... I can't breathe. I literally am dying. I okay, can't. I have some. I have some follow-up questions. Number one: Did you go to these places like by yourself, or did you go as a whole group? And number two: What were you singing? Okay, so you didn't go as a whole group. The way that they chose, like if a person purchases a singing telegram, it's they chose the specific song. So whosoever song that was their specialty, they went on that thing. So I had. One song that was a solo number, and I swear to you, I can't remember it. And then I had another song that I did with another girl. So there was two of us, and I, it, it was the Shoop Shoop song. What? No, no, no. What? I can't. I, I literally like, cannot I breathe. I need oxygen. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, oh, I'm not going to sing for you. But like, if you want to know if he loves you so, it's in his kiss. Okay, yes. that's what we're yeah, saying. Yeah, it's in his kiss. Like, yeah. It's an yeah. old, like, 50s, like. Yep. Do, 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 oh, okay. That's not what I was picturing. For some reason, I was picturing, I think I was thinking of Push It. <laughs> <laughs> totally different vibe. Pepper. <laughs> I don't know. I, okay, I that, would have been, that would have made this story more amazing. <laughs> 
But no, this was like, it's in his kiss. And I did it with a friend also similarly dressed. Um, actually, I remember her well. And we, it was easier with a friend, honestly. And we would drive around. One time, I don't, I can't believe I haven't told this story on this show because it seems like it would be the thing that would come up. But one time, the worst one that we did, we went to an older lady who unfortunately was, you know, sort of bedridden in her home. This was like a grandma. Someone bought it for their grandma or whatever. And she was there and the caregiver was there and they ignored us the whole time and watched the TV and changed the channel while we were singing. (laughs) And you just kept going. Well, we got to giggling because they were literally watching like Young and the Restless or something on the TV. Because this was during the school day, mind you. This was during the school day we were released into the wilds to go do these things. To go all over town and sing to people. Yeah. And they, I mean, I think I would rather be back at the bank than I would (laughs) at the place where they're just literally ignoring us while we sing. And then we were like, thanks. And then we laughed, I guess. I mean, it was, well, we did get the giggles because it was very funny, but... I mean, I went all over town and this, we did this for, I don't know, maybe three years, three different Valentine's Day. This was not a one-off like, well, that was weird. It was, it was like, okay, well next year let's make some pros and cons. You know, it was like that. (laughs) So Meg, you did this too? Was this after I graduated? I don't know. Maybe I literally have blocked it out. Yeah, it's possible that I did. I've done some very weird things for show choir, all in the name of show choir. Very weird. So that's possible. <laughs> oh that's my gosh. Who wants to go next with their weird thing? Who <laughs> wants to go next? Rebecca, do you want to share a, a weirdness? Well, sure. So something that I think the awesomes have probably noticed about me is a common thread in the stories that I've told about me, especially as a child, is that I have a very like performative lifestyle, like always assuming <laughs> that an audience will care. <laughs> listen, listen. Performative are, lifestyle. Yes. You are a resident ESFP. They are literally called the performer type. You get a pass. All right, so some examples of this that I've already shared on the podcast in the past is, you know, creating a time capsule out of just for random because future generations will surely be fascinated yes. by my life. Yes. Um, right. Never writing anything in my journal that I don't want my future children to read because again, future generations will be fascinated by what I have written and surely, yes. surely they will read my journals. Yes. Um, the big confession that I made a while back is that I used to pretend I was the star of my own reality television show in which I, it's one of my favorite things about you. I love it so much, which I would dance around my house doing ballet, which I was not ever trained in. And the show was called, (laughs) the show was called ballet with Becca in her household. But A new confession, something that I have yet to add to this list of my performative lifestyle, is that I used to do audio cassette tape recordings of myself leading uh, exercises, like workout tapes. So it would be like, you know, 10 push-up reps and then jumping jacks and sit-ups. And I used to do that with the idea that, of course, I would go back and listen to these tapes and use them as as 
my own motivation for working out because of course I wouldn't use somebody else's workout. I had to be the star of my own workout. Of course. Yeah. Um, But it will not surprise anybody that I never went back and listened to these. I would just record new fresh ones and never, ever, ever use them for actual exercise. (laughs) I love that, Rebecca. Your stories of performance never get old for me. And I know as much as we've talked about, I know there's more in the vault that you have not yet shared. So thank you for sharing that one. (laughs) It's true. There are more. Oh my gosh. Well, this is the embarrassing thing about this actual question from Laura is that because we have been doing sort of awesome for so long yes. and we have shared our weirdness <laughs> with the awesomes, you guys know. know us probably better than real people in our lives for especially yep. these little weird moments. Like this is yeah. the stuff that comes up on the podcast. I was like, what have I not said? Like when I was I thinking know. about mine, I thought, okay, I think I've told them that when I was a kid, I made, I would record Rebecca on my little cassette player um, music that I had to practice for piano lessons, but I made it a radio station. It was K-L-L-Y. Oh, yes, K-L-L-Y. That was my jingle. I had a jingle. It was like a way, you know, like I was uniquely and kind of lonely and geeky kid. You know, I look back at the things that I would do. I'm like, I can't believe, like I was often did my own cooking show into the window. That was my camera. Listen, here's the thing. I just realized we had the great misfortune of growing up without TikTok. Now, <laughs> my children, my daughters, well, one of them especially, my ESFP, gets on TikTok and does all kinds of things. Yep. Letting that performance flag fly. We didn't have TikTok to perform we didn't for have everybody. An no. Yeah. Right. We were just doing it all for ourselves because we were so bored. There was nothing else to do, which is kind of true in a thing. But I was thinking if I was going to share something, and I may have actually even shared this at some point on Sort of Awesome, is that there was a phase in high school for about two months where I tried to turn punk. Kelly Gordon as a punk girl. Yes, I actually am here for this. It doesn't work. I tried, and it didn't work. You were were too cheerful to be punk. I was a blonde... You know, so I tried to like, I can't do anything about my hair. I wanted to dye my hair black and my parents were like, absolutely not. So I did what I could. I wore black all the time. Yeah. I wore safety pins in every hole on my orifice that I could that would not hurt. Like my already. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Not every hole. She said that would not hurt you guys. That would not hurt. Would not hurt. I wasn't making new holes. I wasn't that brave. That's what I mean. I wasn't that punk. If I was truly punk, I would have been like, here's a needle, put it through my ear. You know, I was like, well, maybe the hole that already has a little mini mouse ears in it. I'll take that out and put the safety pin in. That's bad. I tried to wear black eyeliner that just like smudged off. I tried to be moody. You know, like, and it wasn't like I wasn't a moody teenager at times, but it just wasn't my natural default. I tried to be like deep. You're trying to be, yeah. Yeah. Like, and I listened, you know, to existential music, punk music. And I did, why I was doing this was because I had friends who truly were punk and I just wanted to hang out with them and fit in with them. And they really didn't care because that's the kind of cool thing about that ethic is like, they were like, you can come and be your preppy little self. And I was like, no, I want to fit in. So here are my ripped jeans, here are my, you know, safety pins through my ears. I'm going to be the punkest I can for at least two months until I finally gave up. <laughs> please, I please, love that. please make a social media graphic 
for this show promo that says, not every hole. <laughs> Back then, I would not have even, like, I wouldn't have even put something to my nose. You know what I mean? Like, it was so, that would have been so far out there. And now, and now, there are people like, oh, sure, that's normal. Every hole. No, no, no. Not then, not now, not ever. <laughs> Hashtag not every hole. It's the new merch. <laughs> link, link in the show notes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. My face hurts so much from laughing, you guys. Okay. As Kelly intimated, we have already shared so many crazy, weird strange, dumb things that we've done in our lives. I really was like, what have I not told on this? So mine is a super recent one. This only happened a few weeks ago. Um, I don't know if everyone would think this was weird, but at my husband's encouragement, Kyle's encouragement, I have tried smoking cigars. Some people might think that's a little weird for a woman. It's a kind of a gendered hobby, right? Most people associate cigars with men with like power tycoon men, but we thought, let's just try it. And it's the pandemic. Kelly, as you said, I'm bored. I was bored as a kid. Now I'm bored as an adult. So I thought I'd try it. So the, the weird part is that, um, well, first of all, that again, some people might think that's kind of weird. So we sat down on our back porch to enjoy this lovely cigar that we got at a very nice cigar shop here in Oklahoma city. Kyle told me, if he told me once, he told me a dozen times, do not inhale. When you smoke cigars, you don't inhale the smoke. If you inhale it, you're going to get really sick. I was like, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I get it. I, I can do it. I can totally do it. So I start to smoke the cigar after he goes to all the pain to light it. Like there's this whole like ritual and ceremony with smoking cigars. I had no idea. So I start to smoke it and my memory, like muscle memory kicks in from when I was in college, when I was in a sorority and I did smoke socially smoked cigarettes and you do inhale cigarettes. Of course, I lived by a very strict code of conduct as a sorority girl. We learned early on that ladies do not smoke outdoors. You always smoke under a roof and you always smoke when seated. And so here I was like, I'm outside and I'm smoking. Is this bad? I don't know. Um, but so like this weird muscle memory kicked in and I was trying to smoke a cigar without inhaling, but I just kept accidentally inhaling the smoke. And before I knew it, I was very lightheaded and like, whoo, this is, it's hitting me. I feel a little dizzy. But so we finished the cigar and then it was time for me to go in and, and put the kids to bed. And I was actually, I was nursing Nico, he still nurses before he goes to bed. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be sick. So I like hurried up and put him to bed, ran to the bathroom and promptly threw up. And you guys, you know, the movie, The Sandlot, when they try like chewing tobacco for the first time and yeah. they're having fun and like, woo, they're like riding the, the, uh, the Ferris wheel and having a great time. And then all of a sudden they're all throwing up. That was my lived reality. And I was like, I, I, did, I overdid it on the inhaling, didn't I? <laughs> Kyle's just rolling his eyes. He's like, okay, are you okay? You doing okay? Like, literally, I tried to tell you a million times. <laughs> so that was my most recent weird experience. Something weird that I have done. All right, Laura, round us out. One more question to wrap up. One more question, mainly just because I think this one is fun. But I'm going to ask you what I list in the book as 
10 notable fashion choices. So let's each just share one notable fashion choice in our life. And I really hope that we share pictures of this on the internet this week because (laughs) pictures are worth a thousand words. So my notable fashion choice was for my senior prom. I'd gone to junior prom with my longtime boyfriend. I'd done the very traditional prom thing where I wore like a truly gorgeous beaded dress and had like the beehive hairdo. What's that called? Like French twist, I guess it's called. Like I had done this very traditional prom thing for my junior year. And then for my senior year, that longtime boyfriend and I were, we were on a bit of a break. We were on a break, friend style. <laughs> and, and well, that's a whole other notable story, honestly. But anyway, we were on a break and our prom's theme that year for my senior prom was like a disco theme. Now, most people, because prom is really special, they were wearing normal prom dresses, but some people were like kind of going with the theme and getting like silvery dresses for disco or whatever. And I thought, because I'd already done the traditional thing, that it would be fun to, you know, do a themey prom dress. And actually, my mom sewed it. So this is what makes it not only notable, even though it's like, it was notable in that it was green and yellow and pink. It was like very bright satin. But we went to the store together, like the fabric store. We picked it out. I picked out, I designed designed it really. Like I looked at different necklines and like all the things. And then my mom sewed it. She is a very, very good seamstress. And so I have this memory. Now at the time, it was just like fun and whatever. Why it's notable to me now when I look back, also like as a mom, how special it was to design this, you know, you only go to prom a couple of times, if at all, you know what I mean? It's like a really, really big deal. And that I designed it with my mom and that she sewed it for me and that it was really out of the box, yes, you know, look for prom. And I just, I hold that as a notable fashion moment for myself even though I at the time it didn't it was fun but it didn't like really register what a big deal it was and then you go off to college and you live your life and then you look back and you're like oh it was really special that I ended my college year like on that note sort of loved that I love that Kelly how about you any notable fashion choices as you look back on your life Well, this kind of actually is a weird moment, too, because I think that the awesomes all know that mostly through high school and college, my job was working in restaurants. I was a food server almost exclusively, except for one, I think it wasn't even a year-long season when I worked at Express in the mall. Do you guys remember Express? It It was a brand by The Limited. I think they're closed now. Um, they were kind of the hip new brand and I just had been struggling. Like I, I never really knew what to wear. I think it actually took me until I was in my forties before I kind of figured out what my actual style is, you know, and to feel like comfortable in my skin and say like, these are the kind of clothes that I like. These are the kind of clothes I don't, but everything about express back then said to me like working woman stylish. And so I was like, I'm going to work there and I'm going to spend every cent that I get on clothes. So an outfit that I bought, and this was in the like, I'm, I know I'm older than everybody, so I'm older than sin, practically. <laughs> Late 80s, early 90s, probably early 90s, actually. And I bought an outfit that was 100% from head to toe periwinkle. It was a, it was like a tunic, sort of a shirt, and it was periwinkle. Yes. And it came with a skirt that was like a real tight spandexy sort of skirt, which was popular back then. 
Periwinkle. Mm-hmm. My tights. Periwinkle. <laughs> <laughs> the thing yes. that I was so sad about is I couldn't find any periwinkle shoes. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't you sell didn't, that. You, you didn't do like a dye to match like I wore to prom or I well, take my go and get it, my it shoes dye to match my dress. Yeah, it was it was like not that dressy. I needed like some <laughs> moccasins, some periwinkle moccasins to really complete the look. And so I just had to wear some loafers or something that I you found that were probably like blue or black. They weren't periwinkle. And I had some earrings that were periwinkle. It was actually three like dots that dripped off of your ear. It was periwinkle and they did have two other colors there, like lime green and a and a blue. Love I love this outfit. I felt so chic. And yes. it was there was this thing in like the very early nineties where it was this like unicolor. Like that was cool to wear all the same color. I think I probably even had a periwinkle headband. Oh yeah. I didn't get rid of those earrings. I got rid of the outfit, but I kept the earrings until just a few years ago. And then I, you probably remember this again, if you've been listening to Sort of Awesome, our house was robbed and they stole my jewelry. So they stole my express earrings. <laughs> I bet they got a lot of money for those. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, it was, I look back and it actually, other people look at me with somewhat horror when I say the whole outfit was periwinkle, but I loved that outfit so much and was so happy and proud of it at the time. And I felt so stylish that I still remember it with nothing but happiness. Oh my gosh. I love that. That monochromatic look. We were pioneers of it in the early 90s for sure. All right, Rebecca, how about you? Well, I think like lots of us perhaps listening, I fell victim to the idea that wearing jeans underneath my dress was a correct choice to make mm. in fashion. Yeah. It's a it? choice to make. <laughs> the correct choice. <laughs> it started for me, there, there's a few times when this when this has come up in my, in my past. And the first time that I kind of dipped my toe into this concept was in the summer of 2002. I was living in France that summer. And I found a shirt slash dress that I wanted to buy to take home with me. And it was kind of like a, a very like fitted blouse that was brown. It had a collar, buttons like all the way down. But it, it extended to like maybe just above the knee. And so the way that I would wear it, and I don't know if this is the way it was styled in the store or if I made the assumption that this was the correct way to wear, way to wear this or if I saw, I, I certainly don't recall seeing other French women wearing it like this. So I, I don't know why I made this choice. I had it buttoned, you know, like as you would for a shirt, but then unbuttoned with jeans underneath. So it like kind of like flared out. Oh, yes. Mm, and good. then yes. <laughs> I wore it with a pair of shoes that I got also in France that I would describe as like fancy bowling shoes. Um, <laughs> that's probably the best description I can do. They were brown, they were leather, but they definitely, I mean, if you look, are they bowling shoes? No, maybe a little fancier than that. Okay. And I felt so sophisticated wearing this in France. Yeah. It felt edgy. It felt oh, yeah. different. When I traveled home by plane, I packed this outfit in my carry-on that I was going to change into when I landed in the restroom because I wanted to be picked up wearing something that my family wouldn't quite understand. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Wait, am I the only one that doesn't think this sounds... I mean, I think this sounds amazing. Like, I... you. <laughs> I think it sounds like I want you to wear it right now. It sounds truly really stylish. Well, 
I have it in my attic. If I was maybe 30 pounds lighter, I could maybe pull it off. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have pictures? Please so, tell me there's pictures. Oh, for sure. Yes, for sure. And then I, but this is the only, this, I, you know, I was just kind of like testing the waters of jeans under my dress with this like bl- long blouse dress thing. But then my husband, um, this was after we got married. So it was several years later, he does a new business venture. He's launching a new website. His parents throw him a launch party. It was so kind of him. And I was like, I've always wanted to wear a full dress with jeans. And by golly, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it on the day when all of our closest friends and family are gathered to celebrate my husband. And I'm going to stand on stage (laughs) and wear this outfit. And guys, I don't think I ever did it again since then. But I did for my daughter's three-month baby photos. I put her in a dress with jeans. And my mother was like, this is a unique choice that you have made. And I was like, mom, it's fashion. It's fashion, <laughs> mother. <laughs> now I look back I... at those pictures of my daughter with these jeans peeking out from her dress. And I'm like, oh, my word. That was that was a choice I should not have made. But that's the great thing about these fashion moments is that I think especially now I have my own kids making fashion moments for themselves that I'm like, that is not a good decision. And they feel so happy about it and empowered that I can't like totally ruin their buzz. I'm like, then just you go with your bad self and we're going to take a picture and you're going to look back at this someday and be like, mom, why did you let me leave that house like that? And I'm going to say that was all you, baby girl, all you. It's the fun of fashion. Yes, that is the fun of fashion. Yes. It sounds like you're really having fun with that too, Rebecca. I I actually, I love your enthusiasm for it at that time. So as I thought about notable fashion moments for myself, I'm like so conservative when it comes to what I wear. I could not think of anything. I'm sure my sister's listening right now and she's like, oh, I can remember a few things that I could mention that you've done. Um, But I couldn't remember anything like really funny or, you know, like, oh my gosh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. So I'm going to tell you, and I, I can't remember if I've told this on the, on the show before, but here we go again. If I have, when my, the book that I co-authored with my friend, Laura Oyer came out in 2012, our Laura Tremaine came to Oklahoma and threw a book release party for me here in Oklahoma city. And I racked my brain trying to think about what do you wear to your book release party? This was such a huge moment. I was so thrilled for it. Um, and I just, I was like looking everywhere and I knew I didn't want just like the kind of standard department store look. And so at that time in my life, I was super into thrifting and vintage clothes. So I scoured the local vintage stores and and thrift stores, and I found the most darling, hot pink, truly vintage party dress. And the minute I saw it, and it was in my size, and the minute I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, that's it. That's how, like when you saw your book cover, Laura, is how I felt when I saw that vintage party dress. I loved it so much. I chickened out at the last minute because it was so bold for me. It was hot pink, like like almost magenta pink. And I was like, okay, this is, this is a little much. I was already feeling a little vulnerable because it was a a party for my book release. And and so at the last minute, I put like a denim jacket over the top to kind of like conservative it a little bit, but I loved that pink vintage party dress so much. And when I think about like 
big moments in my life. And I was like wearing exactly what I felt like I should be wearing in that moment. It was that vintage party dress. I am sad to say that I did declutter it a few years ago in a Marie Kondo inspired fit of like, I can't wear this anymore. I haven't been able to wear it in years. Can't wear it anymore. I'm going to pass it on to bring joy to someone else. But I am a little, I have a little twinge of regret that I don't have it anymore because it was a great, great dress. So. We do have good pictures from that event though. We so we can do. relive. Yes. Yeah. And I think, Laura, I think you wore a jumpsuit to that, like a, a one piece jumpsuit situation to that. I feel like. I did. I wore a Navy. Yes. Yeah, like one piece. That, it was kind of before that was. Yes. Yeah. This was like in 2012. That was the first time I had seen a grown woman and you look so chic and so beautiful as always wearing a one piece jumpsuit. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. So yeah, we do have pictures. We have pictorial proof of those moments. So, okay. Laura, your book is filled to the brim with so many amazing stories and so many prompts for incredible conversation. Like we've gotten to share here together today. First of all, pre-ordering is still going on as of right now as this episode drops because when does the book release february 2nd that's a tuesday you can pre-order all the way up to february 1st you can pre-order the book and then sign up for the pre-order bonuses i have three bonuses that i really love there's a PDF journal that goes along with the book as a bonus because you are going to want to journal out or at least have all the prompts in one place where you can write your own feelings about the big questions in this book. So there's a PDF journal. I'm doing a private book club for the book where we are going to walk through each chapter. You're going to get a chance in the book club to share your stuff. We're also going to talk more about the stories I share in the book. It, you know, it will just be like a six week long book club that's going to take place on Facebook. That's one of the bonuses you have to pre-order to get into that group. And then the third bonus Meg graciously helped me out with, I did a private podcast series called The Secret Tapes. I have a longtime newsletter called The Secret Post. It's an email newsletter. This private podcast series is called The Secret Tapes, and it is all interviews or conversations with the people that I write about in the book. So have you ever read like a nonfiction book and been like, I wonder what those person's parents think about her writing this? Absolutely, 100%. Okay, well, you're going to find out what my parents think because they felt free to tell me. <laughs> so that is all part of the secret tapes. It's 10 episodes with different conversations of people I write about in the book. They do not all see it the same way that I wrote it. Meg pops in throughout that series to help me tell some behind the scenes stories and to give some context to both the book and the podcast series. That's called The Secret Tapes. Those are all exclusive bonuses. If you pre-order, share your stuff. I'll go first. Yes, you guys, The Secret Tapes are amazing. It is worth it so much. Do the pre-order so you can get them. Again, I've had the opportunity to preview it. It's fantastic. I can't say enough about it. Okay, really quickly as we wrap up, Laura, where, where do we get the book? We can just go to all of the bookselling places? You can go to all the bookselling places, Amazon, Bookshop, Target, your local indie. I would love for you to buy the book from any of those places. Also, it's available on Audible. I read it. So if you're an audio listener, audiobook listener, I read the book. My friend Jenna Fisher reads her foreword that she wrote for the book in the audio version. So that's definitely an option. 
Um, you can also go to shareyourstuffbook.com for like all of this information, the bonuses, where to buy, everything. So good. Where can we find you on social media? You can find me, information about the book, information about my podcast, secret posts, all of those things at lauratremaine.com. Okay. Rebecca, where can we find you all around the web? You can find my blog at simplyrebecca.com and find me all around social media at simplyrebecca. And Kelly? I am at Kelly Gordon MN for Minnesota on Twitter and Instagram and kellygordonmn.com on the web. Okay. You can find me at Sorta Awesome Meg on all the social media. You can find the show Sorta Awesome by searching Sorta Awesome Show wherever you indulge in your social media habits. We would love to have you join us. You guys, thanks so much. So, uh, Laura, thank you for joining us for this, what turned out to be super size episode, this reunion show. Thank you for coming and joining us. This is literally the highlight of my month. I love oh. you guys so much. I miss you beyond. This was so, so fun to be on mic with you again. So great. You guys, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see y'all next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.